Well, good morning. My name is Josh. If we haven't met, and uh, it's so dark. Um, I just want to first say thank you to everybody who prayed for me and my family. Pastor Clovis shared last week that uh, pretty much my whole family was out with the sickness, and uh, we're better now. We're out of the hospital. We were able to celebrate Christmas, and all is good and well. So just thank you so much for praying for us. If that was you, we really do appreciate it. You know, in becoming a parent, I've discovered that kids can teach us a lot. They can teach us how to slow down and just be in the moment. They can teach us how to really trust someone. They can teach us how to rediscover wonder. And they can teach us about the power of persistence, like we're going to see in this clip right here. Mama! Mama! Ma! 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 Mom! 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 Mommy! Mommy! Mama! 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 What? Hi. <laughs> so kids, you just learned something. You can go home and do that to your parents today. <laughs> you know, there's something about persistence. And persistence is simply the ability to do something over and over and over and over and over again, despite opposition, despite pushback. You just keep doing something over and over. There's something about persistence that's really captivating or annoying, depending on which side of the the coin you're on. And while I don't necessarily recommend that cartoon, I couldn't help but think of that clip from that show when I decided I wanted to share with you this passage. Because today we're going to be looking at a passage from Luke 18. It's the parable of the persistent widow. It was this widow that continued to go to this judge in seeking justice. And Scott has given me free reign to preach on whatever I wanted, which I'd said in the first service, and it's true. It's a blessing and a curse to just be like, hey, preach on whatever you want. Like, here's the Bible. You know, give me some margins, man. This is, there's a lot there. But as I was reflecting on my life, it was an easy choice for me to pick this passage because if I'm honest, in just searching through my life this past season, my prayer life isn't as strong as I thought it was. And as a result, my faith was kind of stagnant. And God used this passage to remind me that there's a direct line between our prayer life and our faith. And if our faith is stagnant, you can almost guarantee your prayer life is stagnant. And that's kind of where I was at as I was just sitting there reflecting on my life. It's like, man, something needs to change. And so I just started reading through scripture. I came across this passage and God just used it to encourage me and to challenge me. And I don't know, maybe there's somebody here today who can relate with where I was at. And my hope is that this will encourage you and challenge you as we look at this passage. And we're going to discover this big idea today as we dive into the scripture that persistent prayer adds fuel to our faith. The type of persistent prayer that Jesus is talking about in this parable will actually strengthen and add fuel to our faith. And I love how John Piper kind of summarizes this. I came across this quote uh, when I was studying for this, and he says, Faith is the furnace of our lives, and its fuel is the grace of God, and the divinely appointed shovel for feeding the burner is prayer. And I read that, and I'm already convicted, and I'm just searching through my life, and I realize my prayers are just weak, and they're comfortable. You know, they're kind of like those blanket prayers. It's like, God, help me have a good day. Help me to not be sick. 
Help me, to, help me in this area. Help me in that area. And those prayers aren't necessarily bad, but they were just kind of weak. And my, my, my faith was, was stagnant. It was as though I was just picking up a single coal and putting it on the fire when the whole time I had this shovel in my hand that could just scoop up heaps of coal and dump it on that burner. And so, again, my hope is that today this passage would encourage you and challenge you the way that it has me, because what we're going to be talking about is how to develop this persistent prayer life that Jesus talks about in this passage. So we're going to start in verse 2 of this passage. Don't worry, we're going to come back to verse 1. But in verse 2, Jesus says, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. So he didn't care about God. He didn't care about people. And then there was this widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. And for a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her, continually, her continual coming. Parents, for some of us, that is our life verse with our kids, right? I will give you whatever you want. Just stop beating me down. Take the cookie. I don't care. Just give me five minutes of peace. And here we have this widow that just keeps going to this judge over and over and over again, seeking justice. And the judge is like, I don't care. I'm so annoyed. I will give you what you want. I think the first thing we can take from this passage, if we want to really develop this persistent prayer life that Jesus is getting at, is to start praying and then keep praying. Now, I know this is not profound by any means. Josh, couldn't you have pulled something a little bit deeper from this? Maybe, but we have to realize this widow had to ask the judge once before she could ask him again. Every habit has a beginning. Every finish line first has a starting line. And this widow had to go to that judge once before she could do it again and again and again. And we have to understand that we need a a starting place. Before we can keep doing something, we have to start doing something. And just to give you a little bit of background, you know, a widow in this culture would have been considered very weak. Because she wouldn't have had a husband to provide for her or to speak up for her. And so she, in a very real sense, represents the poor and the oppressed and the weak. And then we have this judge in the story who would have been very powerful. And so we have this beautiful picture of the weak going to the powerful. The widow understands nobody else can give me what I need. So I'm going to go to the one who can give me what I need. She goes to the right place. She starts at the right place. And as I was reading through this, I was asking myself this question that I want to ask you this morning. Who or what do you turn to for justice? Because I can guarantee you, if it hasn't happened already, something will happen in your life like it did this widow. We don't have all the details because that's not the, the point. We don't know who wronged her or what happened. All we know is that somebody wronged her. And she wants justice. And we live in a world that is saturated with sin and we will all be affected by it and somebody will wrong us. So who or what do you turn to when that happens? What's your starting line? We live in a digital world and so for many of us, we turn to social media. 
We try to find superficial justice from our peers when somebody wrongs us. And you guys have probably read the posts if you're on Facebook. Maybe you've written a post like this or you've commented in the comment section of a post that goes something along the lines of this. I was in Target the other day and my kids missed their nap. And they were loud and obnoxious and screaming. And some old man came around the corner and told me my kids need to be quiet. And then he stormed off. He questioned my parenting style. How dare he do that? Why can't they just mind their own business? And then we hit send. And we wait for our friends to chime in and say, no, you're a great parent. Your kids are angels. Don't worry about what that guy said. And we seek the superficial justice from our peers. Or this one might hit home for some of you guys. I was at Costco on Saturday, which is the dumbest thing you can ever do. Whatever happens to you at Costco on Saturday, you deserve for going to Costco on Saturday. You just don't do that. But I was at Costco on Saturday, and I was trying to get some of the free samples, and this person just pushed me out of the way with their car because they, got, they wanted to get to the free samples first. And we send that on Facebook, and we wait for people to respond because we're seeking superficial justice for these things that happen in our life. You see, we all have a starting point, and I know for myself, I was convicted of this, I start at the wrong place far too often. I think we would do well to learn a lesson from this widow because I so often forget that we have the galaxy-creating, star-breathing, universe-sustaining God who is eager to hear our our, our pleas. He's the only one that can really do anything about it. So how how often I, I turn to these trivial things to find justice for the wrongdoing in my life when I should be turning to the most powerful judge. Just like this weak widow starts with the judge, we should start with God. And so I think, again, we would do well to just learn this lesson from this widow. That we need to start going to the ultimate judge and then keep going to him. And some of you might be thinking, yeah, I'm really good at the starting point of things. You know, we're coming up on a new year. It's going to be 2020. We like to make goals and resolutions. If that's your thing, awesome. January 1st, the gym feels good. Carrots taste good for snacks. (laughs) January 17th, the gym doesn't sound so good. Sleep sounds better. Carrots don't taste good anymore. I'm sick of those. I want a donut. Right? It's the keeping part of being persistent that so many of us struggle with. And if that's you here today, I hope these next two points will help you in the continuing part, the keeping part of developing this persistent prayer life. Because I think the second thing that we can do is to remember God's nature. To remember who God is and what He's like and how He works. Look at what Jesus says in verse 6. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. And what we have to understand is that when Jesus teaches a parable, and a parable is simply a story that has a parallel spiritual truth that Jesus is trying to communicate. So when Jesus shares these parables, he shares two different types of parables. There are comparing parables, and there are contrasting parables. 
And so a comparing parable, Caden, you're like a genius in school, so I know you already know this, but I'm going to explain it. A comparing parable is like Luke 15, when Jesus says, God is like the shepherd who leaves the 99 to go after the one. Or God is like the woman who brings light into the darkest recesses of her house to find that one lost coin. Or God is like the father who's forgiving and willing and and waiting for the return of a son. Because God is a God who loves the one. That's a comparing parable. What we're reading here in Luke 18 is a contrasting parable. It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. So Jesus is saying if this unrighteous judge who doesn't even care about God or people can give justice to this annoying woman, how much more will a righteous judge give justice to his very own chosen people that he loves and cherishes? And so for us to develop this vibrant, healthy, persistent prayer life, we have to understand who God is. And for us to understand who God is, the best place we can turn to is Scripture and see what God says about Himself. Because nobody knows God better than God. And so in Exodus 34, when God is giving Moses the commandments for the second time, He says this about Himself. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation, because he is a just God. That's a clear picture of who God is. And Jesus is just saying, look, If an unrighteous judge can grant justice, how much more, he's contrasting these two, how much more will this righteous judge who is forgiving and merciful and loving, how much more will he grant justice to the people who cry to him day and night? And now I know that cartoon at the beginning made us laugh, but God doesn't respond to us the way that the mom responded to that son. And I think so often for many of us, we get a little bit frustrated and we maybe get tired of praying because God doesn't answer prayers in our timing. And maybe for some of us, we think God starts to respond to us like this. Because when we pray for something over and over again, maybe we start to think, whether we admit this or not, maybe we start to think, God's annoyed with me. He's not answering my, my prayers. God's frustrated with me, so so he's forgotten about me, and he's just ignoring me. And that's not who God is. That's not his nature. Because Jesus even says in verse 8 that he will give justice speedily. And we like speed. We live in a culture who likes speed. We like fast food. We like fast internet. We like fast coffee. We want things done fast. And I think we can get frustrated and want to give up and throw in the towel when God doesn't work at our pace. When he's not as fast as we want him to be. And so we grow tired and we grow weak in our prayers. And I know I am guilty of this. Because just to give you a little glimpse of my life, I'm the only follower of Jesus in my immediate family. I've been praying for my mom and my brother and my sister to come to know Jesus and to love him and to cherish him and to follow him for over a decade now. And nothing has really happened. And if I'm honest, it's frustrating. 
Because I know if they die tomorrow, they're going to be separated from God for all of eternity. And it's frustrating to pray for something for years and years and years and then seem like God's not doing anything. And so this passage has encouraged me and helped me to pray with new passion for my family and just remembering who God is. That his pace is a little bit different than my pace. You know, if I'm honest, my prayers for my family over that decade have dwindled. I don't pray for them the way that I used to pray for them. And I'm trying to get back to that point where I am praying for them passionately the way that I once was. But I know it's going to take a little bit of time because there's some calluses that have built up over, over my heart. But I have to keep reminding myself of who God is, that He is forgiving, that He is merciful, that He is gracious. And doing that will actually help strengthen our prayer life, help us be more persistent in it, and will ultimately help strengthen our faith as we do that. So that's the second thing that we can do to move through and to to develop this persistent prayer life. I think the third thing that we can do is to keep an eternal perspective. To keep that eternal perspective. Look at what Jesus says at the end of verse 8. He says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? You know, Jesus is coming. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So when he comes, will he find faith on earth? This type of faith that persists in prayer. And if we go back to verse 1 now, we read this. And he, that's Jesus, told them, that's the disciples, a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So what did Jesus always want them to pray about? And what did Jesus not want them to lose heart about? It was his second coming. His return. Because if we really want to get a full picture of what's going on, we have to jump back a chapter to verse 17. Because Josiah, what's really important is that when you're studying scripture on your own and your parents aren't teaching you, there's not a pastor teaching you, you're just in your room and you're reading it, what's extremely important to understand is that you need to read around the verse or the passage that you're reading to get a full picture of what's going on. So for us to understand why Jesus even taught this parable, we got to go back a little bit. And in verse 20 of chapter 17, we read this. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in a way that can be observed. And so you see the Pharisees, who were like the religious elite of Jesus' day, go to him and ask him this question. And that's what sparks this conversation. And Jesus essentially tells the Pharisees, hey, the kingdom of God is already in your midst. Because the kingdom of God is wherever God is ruling and reigning. And Jesus is king, and he's ruling and reigning in the hearts of people. And he tells the Pharisees, like, look, the kingdom's here. It just didn't come in a way that you thought it would come. And then he turns to his disciples and he starts telling them about his return. That he must suffer many things from this generation, but that he will return. That nobody will know the day or the hour, but he will come back. And so he says, pray and don't lose heart because I am coming. That's this eternal perspective. 
This is what we get to look forward to when Jesus comes. After he defeats Satan, after he judges the people, this is what we get to look forward to. In Revelation 23, we read this. I heard a loud voice from the throne room saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That's what we get to look forward to as followers of Jesus. That day when we are standing in his presence, he wipes away the tears, when the pain is just a distant memory, and he makes all things new. That should spur in us this desire to keep praying, to not lose heart, because we get to look forward to something so much greater. And now this room is filled with a lot of people, and I don't know all of your stories, but I know that there's a lot of hurt in this room. There's a lot of struggle in this room. There's a lot of pain in this room because we all live in a world that's broken by sin. And so I am by no means trying to downplay whatever situation you're going through because I know some people are facing cancer. Some people are facing death in a family, broken relationships. I don't know what it is. But when we can remind our souls that we have this future hope to look forward to, it can help us push back our circumstances and really fix our eyes on who God is. Because I don't know about you, but so often I find myself sitting in the middle of my circumstances when I should be sitting in the middle of his presence. And if this stage is eternity, our lives are this little speck of dust right here that you can't even see from your seat. And in the moment, 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, 100 years, it might seem like a long time, but when we put that in perspective of eternity, man, it goes by like that. And for some of us, we're not going to experience the freedom that we desire on this planet. And that's okay because this planet is not our home. We have something so much greater to look forward to. And again, I'm not saying just get over your problems. I'm not saying what you're going through isn't a big deal. But when we take a step back and we keep that eternal perspective, we realize, God, you have something so much greater for me. That's where my hope is. That's what I'm going to keep looking forward to. So I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep coming to you. So my hope and my prayer is that that will encourage you if you're somebody like me that struggles with the continuing part of being persistent. Just remember who God is to keep that eternal perspective because we have something so much greater to look forward to. He will make all things new. And He is coming again. Now on the back of your handout, there's some next steps. You know, I love next steps because they're practical ways that you guys can apply the message. And I only have one for you today. And it's for you to discover what your next step is. (laughs) I promise this is not a cop-out on my part, okay? I sat there and I prayed and I wrestled with God. What is it that, that that I can encourage them to do? When they leave from this place, how can they take their next step in becoming more like Jesus? And as I was wrestling through and praying through, it was like God was like, I can do that. Because if you're sitting here today and you've placed your faith in Jesus, you have the same Holy Spirit living in you that I do. And he can encourage you and challenge you and convict you and move you to the next step that he wants you to take. 
I don't know what that is, but he does. And so for some of you, you might be sitting here and you might realize, you know what, I've given up on praying for somebody in my life too. Because after a decade, nothing changed. And my prayers for them have become cold and weak. And maybe today is the day that I start praying for them again and keep praying. For some of you, maybe you're convicted, you're like, you know what, I've been sitting in the middle of my circumstances for far too long, and I have not fixed my eyes on the glory of God in a long time, and I've not really worshipped Him in a long time. So today, for you, maybe when you go home, you just sit there with a cup of coffee and scripture, and you just read about who God is. And you just remind your soul, this is who God is. And you read through Revelation, you look forward to that, that, that coming hope. So that might be your next step today, to gaze upon him instead of your circumstances. And some of you might be sitting here today and you're like, I don't even know about this Jesus thing. This prayer stuff is weird voodoo magic. I don't know what he, this guy's talking about. Maybe for you, your next step is just saying, God, if you're real, could you help me to understand who you are? Maybe your next step is to grab a Bible on your way out and just read it for yourself and see what God has to say about himself. I don't know what your next step is, but my hope and prayer is that you would consider what is it that I can do to help apply this message in my life. So that's the only one I got for you. And with the time that I have, I want to close with this story because like I said a couple times throughout this message, I've been reflecting on this past season of my life. And there was a specific moment not that long ago that caused me to reevaluate my faith and my prayer life. And I want to share that story with you. A lot of you know that I love mountain biking. That's my jam. I'd do it every single day if I could. And three years ago, I um, joined the Prescott High School mountain bike team as a coach. And it's been an awesome three years. And uh, foolishly, I went in the first year thinking like there would be some mad revival among the students and everybody would be falling on their knees and trusting in Jesus and it'd be like this crazy, awesome thing. That did not happen. And uh, to be honest, I was kind of disappointed with that first year just by the lack of fruit that I thought that I saw. And uh, after talking with my wife, decided, yeah, I'm going to give it another go. And so the very first day of the second year, I meet this kid. I can't say his name, but for some reason, I knew I needed to just start praying for him. And that doesn't happen to me often. It's not like I meet somebody and I'm like, I know I need to pray for you. Like, it's rare for that to happen to me. But I went home and I, I told my wife about him. And so I've just been praying for him since then. And the second year came and went and we saw some really cool things. A lot of the kids from the, the team uh, were coming to the youth group. And it, it, was, it was an awesome experience. Great. But this one kid that I've been praying for, man, just nothing was happening. And I was starting to get a little bit frustrated And then the third year started. The season starts on July 1st. So season starts. I'm still praying for this kid. Nothing's happening. And I could tell, even though I didn't admit it, I could tell that my prayers for him were becoming weak, just like they were for my family. Because I'm praying and nothing's happening. And it's frustrating. About halfway through the season, we do this thing called For Prescott Week. Many of you guys participated in it, where hundreds of us went and served the community. We brought uh, food to teachers. We painted things in schools, murals, and, uh, you know, Foursquare on the playground. We served different organizations around the town. It was awesome. God used that in powerful ways. 
And then one day, Scott had to stop by one of the schools for some reason. I don't remember why. But as he was in the office, one of the secretaries at the school said, Hey, thank you so much for the work that you guys did. You know, the kids love playing Foursquare. It's just amazing what your church did. Thank you so much. And he said, By the way, by any chance, does your church have somebody who can talk with my son? He's just going through a really difficult time right now. And so Scott's like, Yeah, you know, give me your contact info and I'll pass this off to our youth pastor. So he gets her name and number and her son's name. And then uh, it was later that day or the next day, I'm in the office and Scott kind of waves me over. So I go in there. He's like, hey, here's the situation. And he explains everything. And then he starts writing down the name of the secretary and her son. And he hands me the piece of paper. I look at it and I just stop. And I get goosebumps like, dude, I've been praying for this kid for two years. Her son was the kid who was on the mountain bike team that I've been praying for. And it was in that moment that I had the Macaulay Culkin face, you know, from Home Alone when he said, I made my family disappear. Like when you realized it actually worked. I was sitting there like, oh, it actually worked. And you have to understand, I know God answers prayers. I've seen him answer prayers. But when you pray for something for so long and nothing happens, and then all of a sudden, boom, something happens, it's like, oh, whoa. It's a reminder to the soul that, yeah, God is real. He's, he's just working at a different pace than, than what I want him to be working at. And it was God used that very moment to remind me, slow down, pal. I'm at work. I'm doing things that you don't even know about. Your timing is way off. Would you just trust me? And I realized, wow, my prayer life really isn't where I thought it should be. My faith was affected by that. God used that. And I got to tell you, since that moment, I've had some really good conversations with that student. We've had really good meetings. I've shared the gospel with him multiple times. I've sent him um, verses to go along with the different struggles that he's going through. And I want to share with you the last text message that I got from him. Because he has yet to place his faith in Jesus, but there is hope. This is what he said. This is his words. I've become more involved with God, yet I kind of feel I'm lacking a connection with him. And I'm struggling even more as I know what's wrong and right. I'm still searching and struggling, especially since I feel that I'm trapped. I can't live the way I had imagined. The student needs the hope of Jesus. He's struggling, and he feels trapped, and he feels distant from God because he doesn't have that relationship with Jesus. He is so close. There's so much hope for this student And we serve a God, just like we talked about from Luke 15, we serve a God who loves the one, who goes after the one. And so selfishly, I want to close today with however many people are in this room praying for this one student to come to know Jesus. I would love for the next time I come up to preach or to do ministry highlights to be like, hey guys, remember that kid we were praying for? He trusted in Jesus. How awesome would that be if we could just bombard God's throne room right now, dare I say bother him with hundreds of prayers for this one student to come to know Jesus. Because that's what our lives should be about. And so I want to give us just 30 seconds to pray for this kid. You don't have to know his name. God knows who we're talking about. But to pray for this student to come to know Jesus. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, 
visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.